Open up to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be there in just a bit. Luke 5. Last week we began sort of a mini-series in these Sundays leading up to our transition to our new facility. We're calling it The Well. And uh, it really, really dovetails nicely into what we've been talking about the first few months of this year and following Jesus, right? Following Jesus. We saw that that rabbinical prayer earlier this year, right? That you as a disciple would follow Jesus so closely that his dust would cover you, right? And we've looked at all the different, the different, I don't want to say challenges, but the different elements that go into following Jesus, that it's more that Christianity and following Jesus is more than just assenting to and agreeing to doctrinal truths, more than just agreeing to something that may have happened in the past or that Jesus was a, that following Jesus is a relationship present tense living and dynamic right and and right in the sort of towards the end of our series in in April was what Easter right and and he is still risen amen right really Easter is not a one-off right and I kind of we kind of jokingly say that sometimes we look at Easter like like Groundhog Day right you know oh the, the, the rocks rolled away he popped out and then come Monday he went back in because next year we celebrate he came back out, right? And, and if we don't understand that he is, still, he is still risen, we can sort of get into this yearly, annual, maybe even week to week. You know, I come to church, I, I get real excited, I worship, I hear, and then I leave. Well, that can translate into an annual. Well, it's Easter. And then, I, you know, and, and, and what we've been seeing in this first quarter and into, into May and June now is that following Jesus is following a living Savior. Amen? It's a living, dynamic relationship where as we follow Him, we are being transformed. We spent all the last year in transformation called what? Metamorphosis, right? Where we become from a caterpillar to a butterfly. We are in metamorphosis, spiritual metamorphosis. The Bible calls it sanctification, for the rest of our lives together. So he's not done with you yet. Isn't that good news? Right? Nudge that person next to you and say, I told you he's not done with me. Go ahead. Just say, I told you he's not done with me. Right? So in a good way, everyone could go, Woo! All right? Yeah, well, okay, you go ahead. <laughs> right? So, so it's a process. It's a process, but we have to understand that it's a process of a relationship where we're called to follow him. Not just learn teachings in an intellectual academic sense, but we saw that when disciples followed their rabbis, they just didn't want to learn the teaching. They wanted to be the rabbi. Right? And so Scripture says, be holy for I am holy. Right? So in the following of Jesus, it's not just coming every Sunday to learn more doctrinal truth, which is absolutely essential, but what we should desire in our following Jesus is to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And so we've, we've spent all these months, and now in, in May, into May, as we sort of, you know, all these events that we mentioned in the announcements, as corporately, 
we're, we're, in, we're in a bit of a, in a good, wonderful season of transition. And now I'm going to encourage you. It's going to be absolutely vital that we individually and corporately stay really focused on following Jesus. Laser focused. Because the Bible calls us sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, they're not the smartest animal in the kingdom. Right? That's why they need a shepherd. Right? Sheep are, pro- are, are just prone to wander. And sheep follow other sheep. I shared this story in, in the youth group a few weeks ago, right? Of this herd of sheep several years ago in the Middle East. Shepherds were hanging out, forgot to watch the sheep, Right? And 1,500 of them went over a cliff, one after the other. Now, I know that you don't know whether to be, it's kind of sad. The first 400 went over and died. And then 1,100 landed on this big pillow and kind of survived. But you're like, I don't know whether to be, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, you know, oh. Because you get this picture in your head, right? Not the sharpest animals in the kingdom. But we're, we're sheep. We're sheep and we can wander and, and, and we can get distracted, you know? And, and, and some sheep are so heavy, they get so full of, you know, their, their coat that they flip over and they can't get up. So they're, they're so heavy. And they can literally die. They can suffocate, right? Anyone ever have a week like that? Right? Like Wednesday or Thursday, I'm falling down, right? We're like that. And, and as we transition, as, as God has wonderfully, beautifully provided a facility and answer to prayer for us, we have to recognize our own propensity. In the flesh, we have to recognize that there's an enemy that may not come and go, ah, but the enemy will like to distract. We'll like to distract, even in good things. We can, we can take our eyes off of following Jesus and just, just get distracted. And once we get distracted, you know, that can open up a whole different can of worms. And so last week, we saw that if we're following Jesus, it's not just about us. That was the title. It's not just about us. We don't come to church just to be what I call getters. I hope I get a good sermon. I hope I get good worship. I hope I get good fellowship. I hope I get something from church, right? I've encouraged you for all these years. When you, when you wake up on a Sunday morning, you say, Lord, I'm looking forward to giving. At church today, I don't want to just be a getter. I want to be a giver. I want to give worship to you, God. I want to give love. I want to give care. I want to give prayer. I want to be a giver. Lord, how many people today, before I leave here, can I give something to? Wouldn't that radically change your, your experience at, at church? Lord, let me give someone a hug. Lord, let me give someone encouragement. Lord, let me give someone... Can you fill in the blank? So I encourage you, when you wake up on Sundays and you're about to go to this thing called church, don't just say, Lord, I hope I get something. Say, Lord, the first thing I want to do is give. First thing I want to do is give you glory. First thing I want to do is give you the worship that's due. First thing I want to do is give you my full self. 
But then, Lord, how do I give to the body? Radically changed. Right? And we saw last week that, that ultimately our purpose in following Jesus is to what? Glorify Him. Our whole life is about glorifying God. We saw that in Jesus' example. We saw that individually, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That, right, purpose statement, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Right? That word proclaim is what? Advertise. So the whole point of becoming more and more like Jesus is to proclaim to advertise who He is to the world by how you live. That's the point. That's the point. Now, the challenging thing about that in the culture we live in is that we live in a very me-centered, self-centered, you know, culture that has seeped into the church. And it's all about me and it's what, what's in it for me and how am I growing and how, are, how am I and what do you, you know, at the core, at the core, in our following Jesus, it's to declare His praise. Titus 2.9, remember that? To adorn the doctrine. All right? We gave out Christmas ornaments. And we said, you know what? Our lives are to be like Christmas ornaments on Christmas trees. Attractive. The way you and I live is supposed to be attractive to others. Oh, that's a Christian. Oh, that's what you guys are about. Oh, I knew there was something different about you. Right? In a good way. Right? Some of you have seen that, right? How many of you have been at work or at the store? You run into someone. You don't even know them, but you know there's something different about them. Anyone ever had that experience? And then down the road, you find out they're a believer. You're like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was something about you. What were they doing by just how they lived? They were adorning the doctrine of the gospel. They were declaring the praise of Jesus just in bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So, first and foremost, last Sunday, we said, you know what? As we transition to a new facility, glorifying God doesn't change. Amen? It does. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing individually anyway. So, people are going to come to a new church building that looks very nice, and new landscaping, that looks very nice. And here's the part where the flesh can creep in. Yeah. Looks good, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And all of a sudden, we kind of got a little, you know, and we're, yeah. Nice, huh? And suddenly, very subtly, it becomes about the building. And the landscape. Uh, more than Jesus? It's, it's there. Now, we know and we celebrate God's provision for that. We're not apologizing for God's provision. We're not apologizing for the technology in there to communicate the gospel. We're not apologizing that it's a place that people will come and hear Jesus and lives will be healed and relationships will be healed. We're not apologizing at all for what it looks like. The heart issue is that the looks and the facility don't supersede glorifying God. Amen? That, we've got it, you've got to nail that. 
But if you're going to nail that when we get there, you've got to nail it now. Don't wait till we get there. You see? You've got you to start living that right now because that's what you bring there. That's what you bring there already. That's what we're supposed to bring there already. And so the Lord really put on my heart this month leading up to a physical transition. Let's look at some core issues that we should already be doing in place before we get there as followers of Jesus. Amen? You see? This is not a, hey, when we get there, let's. It's a, hey, we should be doing this now. Because regardless of the facility, that, these, these biblical truths don't change. So number one last Sunday was, we're, we're to be glorifying God. The purpose of following Jesus is for His glory. Whether we're here, whether they're there, it doesn't matter. Okay? Today in Luke 5, right, we're going to see a story. Luke 5, chapter, uh, Luke 5, verse 1, let me turn to it. No. Luke 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And we're going to look at our next core truth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and what we should be doing already. So Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's also the Sea of Galilee, okay, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. All right, so Jesus is by the shore, comes up, sees two boats. In these days, what happened is fishermen, they would fish at night. And during the day, they would mend their nets if they were damaged. They would clean their nets and they would lay them out. Okay? So he comes up on this scene. He got into one of the boats, verse 3, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. All right? So apparently the crowds were so big, pressing him up to the shoreline. He says, hey, 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 Simon, Simon, come here. Gets in Simon's boat and says, hey, pull out a little bit because this is, I, I, can't, I can't do this. They're, 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 they're crowding me. So he goes into the water on the boat and he's preaching towards the shore. Okay? Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, 
he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the net for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. It's really interesting here, kind of some, some background. If you study this, there, there's actually a, a bit of discussion uh, about the placement of this story. We've talked about transformation. I've talked about sanctification being progressive. It's, it's your whole life, right? And how many of you in your walk with Jesus would say, I've grown. Anyone? I've matured. How many of you feel like you're more surrendered today than when you first started? Right? So in this, just, just kind of a help, what's, what's interesting, what's fascinating, is they, many scholars believe that this, this particular event is actually different than Matthew 4. That very familiar passage where Jesus says, come follow me. Right? This is actually different. Now, let me, let me give you some help. In John 1, remember John the Baptist? Actually, in John 1, verse 35 to 42, that's the first time that Peter follows Jesus. That's the very first time. Okay? And then, Matthew 4 comes along, right? And Jesus, that very familiar passage, right? says they were casting a net. And Jesus says, come follow me. And the Bible says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Many people believe that this particular instance in Luke 5 was about a year later. So they meet Jesus with John the Baptist. Matthew 4, Jesus says, hey, come follow me. So they followed him. Still apparently fishing on the side because they were fishing when he came up. Right? And then this event is the next step of their transformation, next sanctification. So if you ever wondered about that progression, many believe that this is just a step, like all of us. They were in transformation, in sanctification. Jesus does something here with Peter and the boys that really gets their heart, really challenges them at the heart level, right? So let's go to verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, and let down the net for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. All right, so we explained fishermen, they fish at night. Why? Because at night, typically the fish come up to the surface and oftentimes they come into the shallows. What Jesus says in verse 4, put out into deep water and let the, da- the net down the nets for a catch, was crazy. This is Jesus, the carpenter's son, talking to Peter, the professional fisherman. We don't know how long he was preaching from the boat, but apparently sometime it was daytime, and he tells the professional fisherman to do something that the professional fisherman knows won't work. Knows is silly knows is a waste of time. Why is that important? You see, sometimes in Scripture, when we read stories of Jesus coming and and healing someone uh, of a disease or someone who is a real bad sinner, we can kind of go, oh gosh, that's so good. Isn't Jesus so good? Look what he did for that poor person. They really needed Jesus. 
The challenge is for us, collectively us, that maybe aren't so bad. That maybe kind of have it together. That maybe are even successful in what we do. That kind of got it down. That feel like we don't need any help. Thank you very much, Jesus. You see, what, what, what's happening here and what's, what's very important for us in our own life today and in corporately as we move, Jesus is challenging Peter in Peter's wheelhouse. Jesus is challenging Peter in what Peter thinks he's already got wired. Right? Listen to Peter's tone. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. So they've been up all night. Maybe a little bit irritable. Anyone ever been a little bit irritable when you don't get enough sleep? Anybody sitting next to somebody that's a little bit irritable because they didn't get enough sleep, all right? Go ahead, just loving to say, wake up. Go ahead, just tell them to wake up. They were up all night, apparently, because that's what fishermen do. They work at night, they, they fish at night, they clean the nets by day, and then they rest and they do it again. They're up all night, haven't caught a thing. Catch what's going on here. Master. Now, that word master is a unique term. It means kind of like teacher, commander, boss. Kind of like someone in authority, okay? Doesn't necessarily mean God. Tuck that away. It just means he recognizes Jesus' authority, right? Rabbi, disciple. He recognizes Jesus' authority. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Let's be a little bit honest. If I'm Peter and you're Peter, I might be thinking this. Who are you? You just go about your preaching, preacher boy. You preach, leave the fishing to us. I'm a little bit cranky. I didn't catch anything, and this is how I make my livelihood. So I'm a little bit irked, and I'm just tired. You just go do your thing, preacher boy. Leave the fishing to the, the guys who know how to fish. Right? Would you thought, hey, that's crazy. Can, can you imagine people like, what out? Tell them the other fisherman, carpenter boy says we're supposed to go to the deep. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Right? Or what's the point? What's the point? That's not how we do it. Or that's going to add to our workload. We just got done cleaning the nets, preacher boy. Now we're going to go put them out in the middle of the day? We don't do it like that. Because if we put them out, that means they're coming back in and we're going to have to clean them all over again before we go out at night. You see? Simon is being challenged in his wheelhouse. Simon is being challenged where he's got it all figured out and he may have been very successful because this is how he makes his living. And along comes Jesus, the carpenter's son, who's the preacher, right? And he's intruding in Simon's wheelhouse. Ah. See, I love this message for our particular demographic of, of, of our church and my house. Because there's many successful people here. There's many hardworking people here. Many of us here have got things wired. We get along pretty well. 
whether it's your career, whether it's your marriage, whether it's how you run your family, at least in your opinion, in your, in your thought process. We got it. Got it. I sure hope that so-and-so was listening to that message because they really needed it. Ah, all of you laughing just busted yourself. Because many of us in Ojai pretty, got a wheelhouse or two or three. And I, 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 I sure hope God speaks to somebody because I'm pretty good right now. Right? What do you do? What do I do when Jesus touches our wheelhouse? What do you have wired right now? Or at least think you have wired. What do you have that's just, it's good. It's all good. My marriage, it's good. My kids, it's good. My ministry, it's good. It's good, Jesus. Would you and I say, if Jesus came to our house, can I come in? Clean up. Change the channel. (laughs) Get the Bible out quick. Where is it? I don't know. What would you do if Jesus came in to your wheelhouse? You got your Bible? <laughs> I got my Bible, Jesus. You're all nervous. I'm not even Jesus, and you're all nervous. Huh? How many of us would sort of almost be put off like Simon? What, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That neighborhood really needs you. Huh? Right? The, the people at that facility, they really need you, Jesus. Why are you here? Why are you here? What's the point? That's crazy. What do you mean? What do you mean I don't have it all together? What do you mean I need to change something? What do you mean? Right? It's very challenging for us. Because if we're honest, we kind of believe we've got some stuff wired. We're good to go. Those areas in your life that you feel you're good to go, Part of your transformation and my transformation, Jesus might just want to come in and move the furniture. Anyone? He comes in and, right? Right, Neva? You got it right where you want it. And Jesus Jesus comes in and just kind of moves that furniture just a little. Not there, Jesus. I like it there. What are you doing? I got everything just where I want it. It all works for me. I, I got it. It's, it's, uh, Jesus, it's right where I got it. Preach. Go preach. Leave my stuff alone. Right? That's what's happening with, with Peter. Jesus is right into Peter's livelihood, to Peter's success, to what Peter was raised with, what Peter knows inside and out. Right? No brainer. It's all there. Peter da, 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 da. Peter might have been teaching others how to fish that lake, the sea. And along comes Jesus. Ah, put out into the deep. What would you say? If Jesus comes into your wheelhouse, something you have wired, and says something that 
in human understanding makes no sense. At all. What would you do? Hmm? Very challenging. Very challenging. What would you do? Right? Would you would you uh, right? Would you cringe? Would you be uh, right? The, the turmoil. Because there's there's something going on. Look what Peter does. To his credit, to his credit, because that, that word master, he has, uh, he has an authority structure. He understands Jesus' authority. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. Are we at a place in our following of Jesus when even if we don't understand, even if it makes no logical sense, even if it defies business reasoning, are we going to do what he says because he says? See, that's tough because when you're in your wheelhouse, you're comfortable and you're secure. Because it's what you know. It's what you know. See, we're very comfortable on, we've been here enough that Sunday mornings there's a routine and there's a comfort in the routine. Nothing wrong with routines, but you're comfortable. Many of you get here at 7.30, 7.45, you serve. Many of you attend, you get here on time. We, we just, we're comfortable here. What do you do when Jesus comes and he wants to, and he says something and he, he's calling you to obey and it just doesn't fit what makes sense to you or me. It just doesn't make sense. In fact, you think he's flat out wrong. Peter didn't say it. But you know Peter was thinking it based on Peter's own experience. You're wrong, Jesus. But okay. Maybe in the back of his mind, it's like, okay. You think, okay, Mr. Carpenter, preacher boy, let me show you. Right? There may have been a, let's just see. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue that we all face today. What's your wheelhouse? What do you feel you got wired? Is it a relationship? Is it a family? Is it a business? Is it your money? Is it your time? What is it that you feel like you're good? You're good. Don't touch that. I know how to do this. I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing this for 30. You, you fill in the blank. What have you been doing for so long that you think it's all good? And you don't need Jesus to mess with it. Not to help. To mess with it. Right? That's what's going on here. And then he says, out of obedience, and, and, and props to Peter, he does it. I will let down the net. Because you say so, I will let down the net. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Wow! Come on now! Jesus had a plan for something so much bigger than Peter could have ever thought or imagined. 
beyond Peter's understanding, beyond Peter's human experience, Jesus had a plan, but Peter had to be willing to obey. Peter had to be willing to step out in faith. Peter had to be willing to do what he thought based on his own thoughts, his own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Peter had to have a step of faith and obedience. And then when he did that, God showed him something. Amen. God showed him something so much bigger than he could ever have done on his own. I think about that in this transition. We prayed almost from day one since we were here about when is the Lord time to move? Are we ever going to have a place? Right? And over time and, and, and diligence, we checked out different properties in the valley and where this body was, where we were in maturity-wise, where we were in, in stewardship maturity. And lo and behold, He's done something far greater than anybody in this room could have ever asked or imagined. Amen? Amen. Far beyond. Far beyond. Right? I love this. When I think of this passage, these verses, I think of us, right? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You know what happened? God did something so big that Peter and all the professionals knew without a doubt it was God. Knew without a doubt it was God. That place on 1290 Grand. It's so big and so beyond anybody in this room. It is only God. It is only God. Believe me, Peter could take no credit for this. It was done in the middle of the day in deep water. There is no way we could take credit for that. Us 50 or 60, 70 people. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? There are going to be people coming here from out of town. For, for, for weddings and for events. I know other pastors who are going to be like, how many come to your church? And you got this? And they're going to say, how? And you know what I get to do? God! But, but what would you do? Uh, uh, did you like have a thermometer? And did you like sell cookies? And did you have car washes? I'm like, God! Now God moved on many of you to give and God provided through a variety of means. But honestly, it is so big and so wonderfully that I love just saying, God! Right? And, and in this passage, just kind of a side note, what happens when, when it's so big? Peter signals, hey, we need help. The blessing was so big, they needed help. Two things. Peter acknowledged he needed help. It was beyond him. And sometimes in your life, in my life, when you step out in faith and Jesus does something in your life, it's bigger than you. And you're going to need help. That facility is way bigger than what we're used to here. And quite honestly, help! 
And the cool thing is, the people, the, the other boat saw him, and they came. Our desire is that for us here, maybe some of you, it's like, oh, you know, maybe they don't need us if they got it wired here. Over there, jump in and come help. There's going to be so much opportunity. So much opportunity to be a part of God's blessing. And we understand their seasons. We understand that. Our prayer is that that is not just a tool to reach the community, but it's a tool for you and I as the church to be even more engaged. Come help. Come help pull in the blessing. Roll up your sleeves. Jump in. Jump in, right? That's, that's our desire. We talked about that, that uh, memory verse. Turn to that memory verse real quick if you have that card. This story is so essential because it deals with unity in many ways. A united humility is what this story is about. Us being humble before God individually and then corporately. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. You can look at the verse card or I'll read it. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a unity that we can have as a church family in glorifying God and a, and, a, and, a, and a unity in humility, understanding that that place is way bigger than any one of us. Amen? It's a unity. If we keep the main thing the main thing and focus on following Jesus and glorifying Him and being humble, realizing that there's only one thing we can say when we're there, God, we're united, even in our humility. Even in our humility. Instead of puffing ourselves up, what do we do? We, we have a broken moment like Peter. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Wow. And I, and, I, and I think about unity and walking together as I think about where we are in the stage of, of building and designing. We have had an, an incredible experience and an example of, of how unified a ministry can be even in the last nine months. And, and what I mean by this is this. Since we purchased the property and have been doing things over there, there has been a build slash design team. People that have been working together, seeking the Lord, a diversity of personalities, a diversity of tastes, a diversity of experiences church-wise, a diversity, just a very diverse group God has brought at different seasons in this build and design. What Bill has really been charged with is shepherding that process. What the well looks like is not his creation. What the well is, is a God creation as the body of Christ with all the diversity of gifts, talents, experiences, everything has been brought together to in unity seek the Lord for the practicality of that building. You understand what I'm saying? It hasn't been easy. There have been times on the design build team where there have been differing opinions. There have been personality differences. Taste differences. Right? It's not all up to me, even though I wear this title. I understood right away. I'm just a piece of that puzzle. There are some things over there where um, 
I gave input. There are other things. I'm just as surprised as you. What unified the design, build, plan team was a desire to glorify God. Was a, was a humility that said, Lord, as a team, let us seek you for your purpose, your kingdom work here. It's not about any one of us. Sure, there are differences there. When you go there, there are taste differences. That's all it is. It's taste. Right? How many of you have ever painted the inside of your house and you love the color? And then the first person walked in. Oh, that's nice. Anyone? There's no way to please everyone. Amen? That could be the color of your car. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anything. Once you step out into a leadership position and you need to make decisions on the home front, on the business front, on the relational front, you, you open yourself up to exposure. That's, I understand that. Coupled with, and here's a very important thing. This is a check for us too. We live in a very opinionated culture. Social media and the internet have elevated opinion making to a science. And now people have no problem on Facebook, on Yahoo, da 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 bam! Like, dislike. If you're not careful, that unhealthy attitude seeps into the church. I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, sermon? No, and, and, and it's true, right? It's true. Worship? Fellowship hall? Women's ministry? Men's ministry? Right? Pews? Right? You name it. This is the culture we live in. We think it's our, it's like the gift. We have this gift of opinion making. And no one has a problem exercising it. And it's just the culture we live in. But in the, in what does the Bible say? Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth except which is edifying. Edifying. So I get that. People are going to go over there. And, you know, some are going to like, wow, we've already had it. Some are like, oh, that is awesome. And some are like, that's cool. If your heart's not right, you can get way bent real quick. We laugh about church splits because of the color of the carpet. You, you laugh about church splits because the piano got moved from here to here. All true stuff. You're like, how does that happen? I cannot believe that a church would split over the color of the carpet. Oh, really? You're not right that quick because it's your opinion. It's not meeting your need. It's not what you like. And I praise God that in nine months I've been able to see a shepherd, shepherd diversity of the body in seeking the Lord. A lot of what you get at the building is simply taste. Everyone say taste. Worship style is taste. Color carpet is taste, right? It's taste it's taste. The thing that you need to really be concerned about in church is truth. Truth. And, and I'm just going to be real honest here. I understood the big risk 
of going there. And all the it's all taste. We will not compromise on truth. We will not compromise on truth. And so you go there, and, and sure, some things you're going to like, maybe some things you're ambivalent to, some things just been like, ah, I wouldn't have done it that way. I'm with you. That's not a slam on anyone else. It's just taste, right? Just taste. If you go there and something gets messed with, with truth, you need to stand up and shout. That's when you need to stand up. That's when you need to m- make some noise. Amen? I give you permission. I know me. I know my humanness. I'm not infallible. That's why we have an accountability board. And I think all three of them are coming on May 28th. So you'll get to meet all three of them together. Why do we have an accountability board? Because if this Yahoo goes left, there are three, two pastors and one that I still consider a pastor because he was pastor with me on staff in Oceanside. Three pastors that have the authority and the right in our bylaws to call me on the carpet for your sake. The well and all its beauty and all its wonders is mostly taste to proclaim the truth. Amen? Don't lose taste. Don't put taste over truth. Do not put taste over truth. Please. It's just, I get it. I get all that. And so, in this passage, right, Peter has this epiphany because Jesus does something in Peter's wheelhouse that just knocks him for a loop. Right? He says, go away from me, Lord. Notice the change. See, first he called him master. Kind of like teacher, commander. Okay, you're the boss. Suddenly, Jesus does something so big that Peter changes his tone. And instead of a cop in an attitude, he's broken. And he says, Lord, look what he says. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. All the professionals were humbled. All the professionals, all the guys who thought they were new what was possible and what was not possible. All the guys who probably were sitting back going, watch this. Preacher boy's about to fall on his face. All the guys who had it wired were humbled because they understood God had just done it. For you or for me, is there something in your life your wheelhouse where you're struggling because honestly you think you got it wired and your experiences and your your successes you're good to go and and Jesus wants to come in and he says do this do this Ernie 
Mike, just, just do this. And are you willing out of obedience to do this? Just because He says so. Even if you don't understand. Even if you don't get it. Even if it makes no logical sense. Would you still do it? Because here's the encouragement. If Jesus says to do it, it's a good thing. Amen? Amen? Because look at this. Put out into deep water and let down the net for a catch. He knew what was coming. He didn't say, hey, Peter, put out into deep and let down the nets and let's try to catch some fish. Did you catch it? Did you hear it? He says, let down the nets for a catch. Jesus knew what was coming. Peter was the one who was struggling. God has a plan for you and me. And the basis of that is obedience and faith. And at a certain point, you and I are going to have to put down the nets, even if it doesn't make sense. Even when everything in the human, human logic and human reasoning, all your past experiences, all those voices in your head are like, no, 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 silly, 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 stupid, 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 dumb, 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 not going to work, fail, fail, fail. Even when all those voices come, you have to step out in faith. Because he says so, Amen. Because he says so. And here's the crazy thing. When you step out because he says so, who's responsible for the consequences? He is. He is. Well, what's going to happen, Jesus? If I do that, what's going to happen? Don't worry about it. Just do it. Just do it first. If he's telling you to do something, you act because... He says, because he says so. He loves you. What was he doing here? He came into Peter's life and he humbled Peter. And in order to humble Peter, he had to get into Peter's wheelhouse. He had to get into that area of Peter's life where Peter thought he had it all figured out. All figured out. I'm good here, Jesus. I'm good. You just preach. You leave the fishing to me. There's something in your life and in my life where I like it. I'm good on that. I'm good on that, right? Humility. Look at the, look at the quotes I put just real quick in the, uh, the notes there. I put a quote there from C.S. Lewis. The bottom of your notes there. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Love that, right? Love that. Because here's the thing. You can swing two ways. You got the boastful, arrogant, prideful, right? But here's the other thing, and this is this is just as 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 wrong. The woe is me. Oh I'm not I'm just and God could never use me and I'm just gonna sit over here and you kinda are, are it's called it's like a false humility. Humility is not apologizing for who God made you to be and the gifts He's given you. Amen? Don't apologize for how God made you. Humility is, it's God who made me. Right? See, let me, let me explain this to you. The well, right? We're not going to be arrogant about the facility 
that, right? That would be wrong. And we're also not going to go, well, you know, gosh, we just sort of, just sort of eked in and, and, you know, and walk around like this, like we're embarrassed or ashamed of it. No. What we're going to do is we're going to celebrate God. And we're going to depend on Him. If God has gifted you in a certain field, a certain arena, whether that's whatever, speaking, money, whatever. If God has gifted you, don't apologize. Use it for His glory. You walk into spirit. You walk in dependence. It's not pride and it's not false humility like I'm a whoa, nobody. It's a God and you use it 100% for His glory and kingdom. Amen? You don't have to apologize. But your focus has to be on Him and you walk in humility. Dependence. Understanding that the large fish catch way beyond any of us. Middle of the day, in the deep, only God. Only God. And so as we move forward, we do it to the glory of God. But as a church, we do it humbly. In humility. In humility. And it's challenging because, you know, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. One of, one of the challenges for me in this whole nine months, whew, it's kind of scary. <laughs> because I'm comfortable. I love you. I kind of know where you all fit. <laughs> right? Uh, six years, we've been through it. We've been through a lot. Highs and lows together. And for me, even in for me, I have my wheelhouse, and it's Sunday at 9 a.m. That's a wheelhouse for me. And I've had to personally work through. Wow, really? Okay. Put out into the deep. I don't know, Lord. I kind of like, you know. And you joke, right? Us 50 and that's nifty, right? Because <laughs> people are saying they're going to come. And they, I'm excited. And, and the neighbors want to come and visit. And people, I, I get all that. But I'm like, oh, man, Lord, really? Put out into the deep? Is that going to work? Is that, oh, mm-hmm. <sighs> Because you say so. I've had my Moses moments, like, who am I? And I don't want to go to Pharaoh. And this, never wanted this. I just wanted to start a little Bible study in Cindy's house. And now we're moving a block from her house in this big old thing. I'm like, I'm just being real. I've had these moments. I'm like, Lord, I just wanted a little Bible study because I had some brothers and sisters in Christ that weren't plugged in. And I just loved them. And we just wanted to have Bible study. And everybody started coming. And then then Sunday, let's do Saturday nights. That's not going to work. Put out into the deep. Go to Saturday nights. Put out into the deep. Okay, Saturday nights. And more came. Oh, Sunday morning. Oh, we can't even find a facility. Can't go ask Pastor Lynn if he'll move his service. Put out into the deep. Okay, Lynn, would you be willing to move your service? We can't find anywhere else. Okay, sure. So we moved to Sunday. And now, he says, it's time to put out into the deep again. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, as excited as I am, my knees are knocking at the same time because it's outside of my wheelhouse. It, it's, it's new again. It's uncharted. It's, it's like this. It is a, it is a catch. Uh, uh, the net is so big, I'm like, help! Help! I cannot do this! We cannot do Right? I, I am there. I'm just being... I, I just, that's where we are together. Together. So we'll go to the glory of God. We'll go in humility. And we'll just take it one day at a time. Can we do that? Can we do that? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. You came into Peter's wheelhouse, his profession, his successful arena in life, and you humbled him by doing something that only God could do. And Peter responded in humility because he recognized that it was God that he was standing in front of. And this morning we are reminded that this church is your church and you're going to build it in your way and in your time. And when you say it's time to pull up this tent stakes and move, we need to move because you say so. Out of obedience and faith. Father, we are um, humbled. Not because of a new facility, but first and foremost, we're humbled because you would love us so much that you would send Jesus. Lord, may we be just as humbled, understanding the nature of grace in the gospel as we are about your provision for a building. Even more so, Lord. Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Because he recognized who you were and who he was. And this morning, before we take communion, we just want to stop where we are. And recognize who you are and who we are. Recognize that you are God and we are not. Recognize that we are saved by grace through faith not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. It's not by works. It has nothing to do with us. You initiated. You sent Jesus. You love. It's your grace. It's unmerited. That's the beginning of humility. Humbling ourselves in front of you, God. Recognizing your grace. So we love you. In our following of you, Jesus, we desire to glorify you. And today, 
You teach us that we are to do it with humility. We're to do it in faith, even when we don't understand, even when we don't get it, even when it seems silly, even when it defies logic. We're to do it because you say so. Because you say so. So this morning, Jesus, we we acknowledge, we thank you for what you did for us at Calvary. And before we take communion, I would invite you this morning, if you're here, and you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never humbled yourself in your heart to recognize who God is, to receive His grace, to believe on Jesus as your Savior and Lord, just to receive, just to understand that it's something so much bigger than anyone. I invite you this day, believe on Jesus, trust Him, follow Him, one day at a time. And if that's your heart's desire, you can express that to the Lord and and join us in communion as as an outward symbol of, of that profession, of that conviction. For those of us, Lord, who who are saved, perhaps there's a moment in this time of communion and holding the cups where we need to confess that there are things in our life that we haven't been humble about. Things in our wheelhouse that we think we're good and we got it all together and we don't need anybody's help, let alone Jesus. Lord, would you bring those areas into our mind and heart so we can confess them? so we can surrender them, so we can yield them to you and then walk by faith because you say so. So we love you and and we give you this time of communion. We'll distribute the elements and once everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. So we follow Jesus to glorify God and we follow Jesus in humility close with this quote and we'll stand and pray. It says, Jesus does not call those who think they can help God do His work. God does not need or want servants who think they are doing God a favor. Jesus calls those who know they need to be humble before His power and presence. So we're going to walk together on this journey of following to Jesus for His glory in humility and absolute dependence. Amen? Let's stand together and we'll pray. Lord, thank You for our time of worship. Thank You for loving us like You do. Thank You for Your Word. And now as we leave, may our lights so shine before men that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in Heaven. May You lead us in the power of the Holy Spirit, even this day, to be ambassadors of reconciliation in our homes, in this valley, in this county, wherever You may lead us. And Lord, until we put our heads down on our pillows tonight, be glorified. Be glorified. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.